Happy Sunday morning, friends. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. It's a good morning to be here to worship and to sing and to share prayers together and to hear a message from the Word. We're grateful for your presence today. I'm Josh. I'm the senior minister here. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, whether you're a guest, whether you're new here, or whether we just haven't had a chance to connect in these weeks that we have uh, been here, I want to meet you. So Aubrey and I will be in the back after services are over. Uh, we, if we've met you already, we definitely want you to come say hi, but for sure, if we haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, please come by and say hello and let us, let us greet you and welcome you to the Preston Road Church of Christ as we continue to get to know this wonderful family of believers. Uh, some of you are guests today, some of you are making your way back to in-person services after some time maybe watching online, so whatever has brought you here today, we're grateful that you are uh, w- with us today to worship. Uh, we are going to continue our James series in a moment. I just want to tell you about two events. Farland mentioned a little bit about one of these, but just to remind you, tonight we have a chance to worship with some brothers and sisters from Area Area Churches of Christ up at the Care Church in Richardson. So hope that we will see you there today at 5 p.m. Also want to let you know that our friends up the road at the Preston Crest Church are hosting a conference called Telling the Story. That'll be in a few weeks. I hope that you go to their website. They've got a lot of speakers coming in from all over the country to talk about church growth and evangelism. There probably are some names on their speaker list that you know. So please take a moment to check out the website for that conference and make plans to attend if some of those topics are of interest to you. So last week we started talking about the book of James. And we titled the series Pure Religion. And last week we talked about uh, what happens when we deal with trials and where God is in the midst of that. And as a way of introducing the book, we reminded ourselves that the writings of James and the writings of Paul aren't in as much tension as we might have thought. Paul talks a lot about being saved by faith and not through works. And James says, hey, you've got to add works to that mix. And we looked at some of the language that they used and we saw that Paul isn't opposed to good works in general. He was writing to say that you're no longer saved by works of the law, which have to do with circumcision and dietary and purity laws and keeping the holy days. And so he said, those aren't the markers anymore. But Paul even talks about collections for the poor, like James will talk about. So James and Paul are talking about the same kinds of things and aren't in as much tension as sometimes we think they might be. And we talk about the the word religion is not a good or bad word. It's just a neutral word. It has to do with the practice of our faith. And so religion and relationship are not as opposed as we sometimes hear. And then we look particularly at the verse about trials. And we saw that our trials might not always be from God. We're not going to attribute every bad thing that happens to God making it happen. But even though our trials might not be from God, they give us a chance to get closer to God through our growth, through perseverance, on our way to maturity. So today we're going to turn our attention to the passage about listening and doing. And so I'm grateful to Steve and Monty for for reading that and for praying over it. That's a good chunk of the passage that we're going to talk about today. We'll also look at some in chapter 2. James has a lot to say about what we do once we've heard the word, once we've listened to the commands in Scripture. One of our problems today is that we are just on input overload. So many things that we have to listen to, and they're not just 
telling us random things. They're giving us instructions. We're supposed to act on these things. So we've got podcasts and cable news and audiobooks. Now we're getting into reels on our different social media platforms and ads before every single YouTube video that we want to watch. And some of these are just getting ridiculous to me. The, the things they want you to do, you know the motif of, you've been doing this all wrong. And it's, here's what I'm getting. I don't know what you're getting. When I'm watching YouTube videos, um, I'll, want, I'll just watch something random. And this is like the clip beforehand. Are you wearing comfortable shoes? You shouldn't be wearing comfortable shoes. Here's why. And I'm like, skip. What is that? You know, drink a lot of hot water before you go to sleep to lose weight. It's ridiculous things that they're wanting me to do. And if you multiply that by all the things we listen to, we've got so much coming at us, don't we? That we're supposed to act on. We can't do it. One survey said that the average person listens to over 16 hours of online audio a week. Between the podcasts and uh, YouTube videos and other sources that we have. That's a lot. We can't possibly act on all that we're hearing, can we? Too much. And for those of us who are believers, the difficulty is we're trying to add our spirituality to that mix. And we're trying to act on things we hear that relate to our faith. And it's just getting lost in all those waters. So it's especially hard when we're on input overload to listen to something and do what it says. So we're going to look at James today and see what he says about those of us who find ourselves in a position of listening but not doing. Let's continue from what we read a minute ago and skip over to James chapter 2 and look at verses 14 through 19. Just continues the train of thought that we heard from a minute ago. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James here is going to give us two images for how ridiculous he thinks it is to separate faith from works. The first image he gives us is of a person, and not just any person, a brother or sister who we might encounter, who doesn't have proper clothing and who doesn't have food. So that's the first image, a person with no clothes and no food. Now, if we encountered such a person... And it was obvious to us that they were in need. And we said to them, go in peace, be warm and well fed. We get how ridiculous that sounds. James wants us to get how ridiculous that sounds. And I know it's tough to figure out how, what to do with people who have those kinds of needs, especially when it's a person we don't know who's 
maybe on a, a street corner or as we're driving by or who approaches us. But that's not the example James gives. He talks about a brother or sister, a, a person in God's family, a person we know. And we would say to them, you know, go in peace, hope you're well fed. That's ridiculous. But that's the way sometimes we separate things. And James is just giving us one of the most extreme examples. We sometimes separate helping people spiritually with helping them physically. That doesn't come from a biblical worldview. That comes from Plato, who, for better or worse, divided up the world into physical and spiritual realms. That's not the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is about the whole person. So I've had conversations when you're doing something that's helping someone in what we would call a physical way feeding them right and someone will say well that's really great that you help them physically but did you do anything for them spiritually in other words you know if you're not if you're not doing something overtly about Jesus you're missing the point and I I'm glad that we're reminded to do things in the name of Jesus but James is saying hey It's no good to bless them spiritually if you don't also help them physically. James is almost saying the opposite. That it's great to have these spiritual feelings of warmth towards someone, but if that doesn't translate into helping the very obvious needs that are in front of us, it's dead faith. So that's the first example James gives. The second example is also kind of ridiculous to an extreme, right? It's demons who are, I don't know, sitting through a service and amening all the beliefs. There's one God, amen, you know, and uh, he's the Lord of all. Amen, we believe that. That's the example he gives. The demons believe that. So if your bar is, I say I believe in God, good for you. (laughs) You're in good company with the demons. (laughs) Pretty extreme example, isn't it? That's what James says. You believe there's a God, that's great. So do the demons. What's going to set you apart? So those are two examples that James gives about the problem of separating faith from works. Eugene Peterson, whom I reference sometimes, he translates that separation vividly when he translates James and he says, you know, if you try to separate faith uh, from works, you'll just get a corpse, Faith without works is dead. That's a pretty vivid way of putting that, right? So you're going to have a corpse on your hands if you try to separate those two. Let's keep going uh, to the rest of this passage, verses 20 through 26. You foolish person. This tells us that James is really coming after us, isn't he? You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 
So if James first gave us, gave us two sort of abstract examples, now he gets concrete. And there are two people he's going to talk about that would have been familiar to his readers. The first person is Abraham. And he says, you know, Abraham was considered righteous not just because he believed God, but because he did something about that. Abraham's faith began with an act of obedience. Here's God who shows up to him. He doesn't know this God, really. And then God says, get up and go to this new place. And what does Abraham do? He gets up and he goes. And even when he was asked to put his own son's life on the line, which is a very difficult story that we're not going to get into today. But obedience played a part of that. And so you can imagine the Abraham story if Abraham just believes things and doesn't do anything. I am the Lord your God. Amen. I believe that. I'm going to give you this land. I believe you're going to give me this land. I want you to obey me with everything you have. I will obey you with everything I have. I want you to do something about that. No thanks. So the example of Abraham, who is one who puts his faith into action. He is hearing the Lord and obeying. But some people are going to look at Abraham and they're going to think, well, that's great. He can do that. He's a hero of the faith. He's this big pillar. We talk about him every time we list the genealogies. So James wants to give us another example that might be more relatable to the everyday person. So he talks about Rahab. And Rahab acts on her faith. She's not part of the Israelite community, but she and those around her have heard about the God of Israel. And they're a little bit afraid of what they're hearing. God and God's people are on the march. And we don't want them coming in here being our enemies. So in her own way, Rahab develops faith based on what she's heard. And she acts on that by sheltering these people of God. And again, you can imagine the Rahab story where she doesn't really act on her faith. I believe that these people are coming to town who are agents of the Lord. Yes, I do. I believe that there are some people over here and it would be good if they were sheltered. Yes, I believe that. Hey, can we be sheltered with you? No, thanks. And it's just kind of an absurd example. Rahab is another person who hears and who acts on that. Now, James is not the first time in Scripture that we, are, we learn to put these two things together. In a very famous verse in the book of Deuteronomy that you might cover at some point in your classes, if not already, we see this concept of listening and doing starting to come together. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in this famous verse, we read this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, this passage is often known, uh, our Jewish friends will call this the Shema, because that's the first word in the passage. Shema, hear Israel. Shema Yisrael, hear. And so it's a famous passage that is often memorized. And in that passage, that word is translated hear. So listen, it's an ear action. But let's look at how this word shows up in the biblical worldview in other cases. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Guess what that word obey is? Shema, hear. Wait, are those two things almost the same? Let's keep going. 
Numbers chapter 20, where God is talking to Moses about Joshua. Give him, Joshua, some of your authority so that the whole Israelite community will what? Obey him. But that's Shema. Listen. Hear. One more, Deuteronomy 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. In the biblical mindset, there's not this concept of hearing and nodding along but not doing anything about it. Hearing means obeying. The ears and the hands are connecting. Listening equals doing. There's not a separation between those two. Even with the word that's used. Hearing the Lord, it's assumed that you will obey the Lord. There's not a difference. So I think for us this comes down to our reaction when we read Scripture. So I've got two words that I think describe the things we need to put together. If we're going to say amen, then we also need to be willing to say, I'm in. Now, I was talking about this with some friends this week, and I discovered that if you say amen in a proper British way, and you say I'm in like we might in Texas, it actually sounds the same, right? I'm in, right? It's the same. But we've got to put these two together. So, If we're going to say, amen, I believe the first commandment that there's a God and this God is one, then we need to say, I'm in, I will love my neighbor like the second commandment says. If we say, amen, someone should do something about that, then we have to say, I'm in, I will do something about that. If we say, amen, I believe that vulnerable and even unborn children should be served and given a voice and looked after, then we can say, I'm in, I will foster and adopt or help the groups that help people do that. If we say, amen, poverty is a problem that needs to be addressed. We say, I'm in, I will work with one of those organizations, right? If we say, amen, my faith is a priority, then we say, I'm in, church is a priority for my presence. All those things that we believe need to translate into action. So when we read and are convicted by something and we say amen, then our response that James would have us is I'm in, I will do something about that. My faith will translate into action. Now let me say a couple of things about this for us. First thing is it's okay if your I'm in looks different in different phases of life. One of the things that I have heard a lot as I've talked with uh, people in churches is that as, as our age advances and our, our bodies aren't able to do the things that they used to to serve others, sometimes there's a guilt that sets in. Oh, I remember I used to be able to do this and I can't do that anymore. And so for those of you who find yourself in that phase of life, uh, you should know that it's okay if your I'm in looks different in later stages of life. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. We're very, very grateful for all the things that people have done at different times in their life. And sometimes it's time to encourage others who are more able at this period of of time uh, to, to be I'm in, as you've had your time to do that. And as you just sometimes grapple with the fact that you can't do what you wish you could do 
are what you used to be able to do. The second very tangible thing I'm thinking about when it comes to translating faith into action, as we look tomorrow and celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I'm reminded of how he challenged us to do that. A lot of quotes show up on social media. Usually it's the quote about hate can't drive out hate, which is a great quote. Interestingly enough, not a lot of quotes from his letter from the Birmingham jail, which is a little convicting to us. It's convicting to me because he wrote it to church leaders. And Dr. King struggled with the same divide between faith and action. In fact, he got on to church leaders. and He was frustrated with those who said they were with him, but didn't really want to act with him. He was frustrated with people, he said, who were more devoted to order than justice, who preferred a negative peace with no tension to a positive peace with the presence of justice. He was frustrated with people who would say, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't get on board with how you're getting there. And he ends that section with this quote, shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. That's convicting to me. But it's the same big issue. You say you believe something, what are you going to do about it? So let me end by just giving you one possible next step. Here's what you can do. Write down your core convictions. And then see if, for instance, your budget and your calendar align with that. Right? And that's not the only things, but our time and money are some of the most valuable resources we have. Am I spending those things and other things in my life? Is the way I'm spending my money, the way I'm spending my time, does that align with my convictions? Or do I need to make some adjustments so that my faith, my amen, is translated correct, correctly into my actions, my I'm in? May our actions align with our faith. And may when we listen to the word, we carry it out and do it. Let's be standing.